Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. And uh, while you're turning there, let me just give you an update uh, on two things. Number one, we had our last basketball game of the season yesterday uh, from our uh, Augusta Christian Academy middle school boys basketball team. And uh, yeah, Will's over there like, yeah. And so uh, they won yesterday, and so we finished the seat. Yeah, you can clap. And so finished the season yesterday with a final record of five and one, five and one. Uh, so it's exciting, and so we're looking forward to uh, next year already. But in the next few weeks, they'll be transitioning from basketball to soccer. And so uh, we have soccer team that starts practice next week. Next Monday, they'll start practices and games will start in March. So if you have any questions about the school or uh, getting your kids involved some way, shape, or form uh, with Augusta Christian Academy, we would love to point you in the right direction. We are going to have a special offering. Uh, this is the first year of the school. Most of us, our church family knows this is the first year of our school. And so we are going to have a special love offering uh, to help them offset their uh, fiscal budget. At the end of the year, they're about $400,000 short of where they would like to be right now uh, because it takes a lot of money to run a school. And so uh, if you are interested or we can help answer questions about that, we had a, a church-wide business meeting a couple weeks ago. If we can speak into that or you have questions about it, please come see us. We would be happy, but we're going to have a special love offering on March the 3rd, Sunday, in a couple weeks just to help offset that deficit as much as we can. And so we're looking forward to great things as we go in. already have many new students who have enrolled for next year, and we're excited about that as well. Have you ever wondered what the Bible says about divorce? About divorce. What does Jesus say about it? Why do good people who seem to be so in love decide to end a relationship? Uh, is marriage outdated? What's it for? Uh, what's even the purpose? Why, why, is, uh, why should we even bother getting marriage? A 2023 survey shows that 70% of couples will cohabitate before marriage. So why even bother? Pastor, why is marriage such a big deal and why did Jesus talk about it? When we get to Mark chapter number 10, Jesus is being asked a baited question. He's being asked a question, wondering how he'll respond. And how he responds, depending on that response, uh, will, will most likely give these Pharisees a reason to have Jesus arrested. But Jesus' response shows that he knew what they were up to. And he gives us God's original design and his intention for marriage and his boundaries for divorce. And let me start by saying this. I do believe that there are situations where people should get a divorce. And if that's part of your story, uh, you're not a lesser person because of your past. But I also know that there are some who use divorce as a way out or an easy out when they should fight for their marriage. So I'm not here to point fingers at either one. This is not a, a message that points one way or the other. But it rather shows us what God intended when he gave us this very special gift. So with that in mind, let's look at Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And he arose from thence and cometh to the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan. And the people resorted unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, here's the question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And here's the phrase that we're focusing on, tempting him. Is it lawful? 
Is it legal for a man to put away his wife? And then they're asking him. The ultimate reasoning is they're tempting him with the question. Okay, so there's our grounds where we're going to start at. And so let's go ahead and pray and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your day and thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, thank you for what you've already done in the service. Thank you that you walk with us and you talk with us and you remind us, uh, Lord, of our value that it is fixed in a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for people who take next steps and see the need to follow you, Lord, whether it's in membership or baptism or discipleship service, whatever it is. Lord, I just ask that you please help us to search our hearts and see what our next step is today. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of sin and help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people today. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see where we are in our relationship with you and ask ourselves if we are faithful to you, as faithful to you as you are to us. Lord, please show us what we need to see from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the emphasis. The emphasis. This is a part of Jesus' ministry that's known as the Perean Period. It's a ministry where he goes over, or a time where he goes over to a place called Perea. It's located on the east side of the Jordan River. He didn't spend a lot of time there, but this area is under the rule of a man named Herod Antipas. And we know that name from a message a few weeks ago when we talked about the beheading of John the Baptist. Herod Antipas was the person who ultimately signed the death order for uh, John to be executed. Uh, This fits really well with the question, and a lot of people speculate that the reason the Pharisees are asking the question here in Perea is because Herod had uh, chosen to marry a woman by having her divorce her husband so that she could marry him. It wasn't a, uh, I, I love you, love at first sight. It was all political. Hey, she wanted, her name was Herodias. Herodias was married to a man named Philip. And so she decided to one-up her social status and marry Herod, who was the king in this region. So all of this is going on behind the scenes. And a lot of people believe that that's why they ask him the question. We see the legality that's mentioned in verse 1 and 2. The legality Whatever the historical context was for the question being asked, the Pharisees come to him in an effort to trip him up. It's a no-win question for Jesus. If he answers one way, he's going to tick off this group. If he answers this way, he's going to tick off this group. Because there were two main thoughts when it came to divorce in their culture. The first one was one group allowed divorce for any reason whatsoever, which we'll talk about in a minute. The other group allowed divorce, but the only reason you could be divorced was for fornication or adultery. That was the two groups. And if Jesus leaned either way, he would most likely lose support for the other group of people. This is an all-out effort to pull a certain group away from Jesus and his followers. And it's no different today. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse number 1, he said, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Did you know that there are some people in your life and in my life, and their sole purpose for their life is to pull you away from your relationship with Jesus? The only reason that they are in your life is to drag you away from your faith. To pull you away, to poke holes in what you and I say that we believe. The only reason that they are there is to try and disrupt your faith. 
We can prove that through Scripture because Acts chapter 20, Paul said in verse number 29 and 30, he said, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, this is what he said, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. To draw away, to see people who are connected to Jesus and try to pull them away to their own group. And one of the signs of the last days is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 4. And when it says, And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. People who are connected, knowing the truth, knowing what doctrine is, knowing what the Bible says, and they will be turned away to a new belief. Turning away from. And see, that's why we have to know what we believe and why we believe it. That's why it's so important to know what the Scripture says about sound doctrine and to know and be rooted in what we believe. Vance Habner said this, The early Christians condemned false doctrine in a way that sounds almost unchristian today. The early Christians condemned false doctrine in a way that sounds almost unchristian today. We have to be willing to speak out in times where there is error present. We have to be willing to be able to say, hey, this is the truth. I know what the truth is. I know what I believe and what I stand for. And be willing to step in in moments where there are uncertainty and doubt. And these people tried to trip Jesus, but he saw what was coming. So the question is, can you see what's coming? When someone says error, can you detect it? Do you know what you believe well enough to be able to speak out when it's questioned? Then we see the legality first. And then number two, we see the license that's mentioned. In verse 3 and 4, you heard the saying, two can play at that game. You know, Jesus is getting ready to throw back at them what they're trying to do to him and using their own medicine. Wording is very important right here. And look at verse number 3. Jesus answers. He knows what it is. He knows the reason for the question. And here's his question back. He answered and said to them, What did Moses command? What did Moses command? Very important. Because he's going to flip it in just a minute. What did Moses command you? He says, what is the command of Moses? Pharisees were required to commit the first five books of the Old Testament to memory. They knew the law backwards and forwards. The Torah, they were supposed to be proficient In the teaching of Moses, because that's where their faith stood. That's where it rested. If anyone had a question, they could call to memory quickly without having to go and look anything up. They would know what the truth was in their mind. So Jesus asked them, hey, what does Moses command? It's very simple. What does the law say? What did they command? But what's interesting is when they respond back, they didn't give what Moses commanded. Look at verse number 4. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. You know what the word suffer, we think about suffering. It's not talking about that, oh, ouch, like suffering. The word suffer means to allow. And they are giving the answer in opposite of what Jesus is asking. What did Moses command? Well, Moses allowed this. That's not what Moses said. They go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 through 4. But the passage doesn't command divorce. It simply acknowledges it. 
See, the Pharisees are misusing Scripture. And Jesus is getting ready to poke holes in their faith. He's getting ready to disrupt what they believe. And Jesus asked them to repeat the law and they give the allowance. They're not the same thing. Which brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 23. We know the verse. We've said it before. We've mentioned it and brought it out in messages. The Bible says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are legal. I can do some things, but the word expedience means what's proper, what's right, what's fitting. So even though I can do some things, doesn't mean that I should do some things. Just because it might be legal doesn't make it right. Just because I can doesn't mean that it's best. And that is what Jesus is saying. Two things to note here. The law allowed for the man to divorce his wife, not the other way around. And the law required the bill of divorcement was to be given to the wife to show that she could be remarried legally. The Jews didn't question whether or not they could remarry. That was expected. The question was, what are the legal grounds for divorce? For divorce? And again, we go back to the teaching of Jesus. Remember, he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus qualified and quantified the law by showing the heart of his Father. The law was meant to point to something or someone greater, not to lead them into that spiral of discouragement and failure. Because if we're not careful as believers, we can plant seeds of doubt in the minds of those who have a past that's not like our own and even portray that our blemishes somehow make us unusable for Him. Now let me just say this, nothing could be further from the truth. And and I got it this and it will be on the screen for you. To say that we cannot be used by God because of our past is to put limits on the forgiveness and grace that Jesus came to provide. Let me say it again. To say that we cannot be used by God because of our past is to put limits on the forgiveness and grace that Jesus came to provide. We're saying that His goodness in what He did for us at the cross is not good enough to forgive all sin. That's what we're saying. If you're here this morning and divorce is a part of your past, God still loves you. He still wants to use you. He still forgives you for every sin in your life, not just the mistakes that you say, man, I I wish I could go back and undo those things. He forgives all sin, not just some sin. That's who he is. That's what he does. But to say otherwise is to limit what he provided, and that's not biblical. So we see, number one, the legality. Number two, the license, what was allowed. Number three, we see the leaving that he talks about. In verse 5 through 7, Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. You know what Jesus tell him? He's given him the reason that Moses offered divorce in the first place. Hardness of heart. You know how he would say that in 2024? You're stupid. You're stubborn. That's why Moses gave that to you. That's why Moses allowed that. It wasn't because you're so spiritual and you need an escape plan. He gave it to you because you're going to find a loophole around it. You're stubborn. God wasn't putting his stamp of approval on divorce. 
He was trying to restrain it and make it more difficult for men to dismiss their wives. They had taken marriage as God intended it and cheapened it. They had cheapened the value of what God said was sacred. In their culture, a man could divorce his wife on a whim for little or no reason at all. She's not a good cook, divorce. Not a good keeper at home, divorce. uh, I don't like something that you did when you were growing up, divorce. It was easy. It was simple. And Jesus is telling them they're treating each other as property, not like people. And that's not God's original intent. And this is a picture of our society today. Little to no long-term commitment. That's where we are. And Jesus takes them back to their original design. He takes them back to the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And what was God's design? Look at verse number 6 of our text. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You know, Adam did not have a lot of prospects. Like her or not, this is your option. This reminds me of a lot of guys, you know, not a lot of prospects. Uh, But this is a passage where Jesus actually defines marriage between a man and a woman. There's a growing group in our culture today that says Jesus never talked about that. If that was the case, then why did he make it so specific? Because when he says in verse number five, or excuse me, number six, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He's talking about biology, by the way. Not what I purposely design and, and feel like I'm going to identify as today. Made them. Made. God made. And if God made you a man or a woman, God originally designed you to be a man or a woman. God intended for you to be a man or a woman. Don't mess with what God did. Don't try to take God's original construct and change it into what you think it should have been or God somehow made a mistake. That makes you God and not him. And that's not the case. But look at what he said in verse number 7. For this call shall a man... Leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The word for man in the Greek language is the Greek word anthropos. It is literally the word for man. Not woman. Not both. Not either. Man. Okay? And he uses the word, the Greek word gune for woman. And it literally means a female. So Jesus, by definition, is saying that marriage is supposed to be between a man and a woman. Simple. See, let's not mess with what God is saying. He says marriage is a man and a woman. So for the people who say, well, Jesus never talked about homosexuality, never talked about same-sex marriage, he might not have used those words, but he made it pretty specific and pretty clear what his original design was supposed to be. And let me just stop and say this. We might get a little animated about this, but we don't get hateful about this. The truth is the truth, whether or not people agree with it in our society, or even people in the room agree with it, or watching online. This is what God designed. And if God designed it, 
he should define it. Yes? If it's his design, let him be the one that defines the construct of his design. He talks about the word leave in verse number 7. For this cause shall a man leave. It's the Greek word katalipo, and it means to leave behind. You know what he's saying? He's saying marriage is supposed to be so committed. I'm supposed to be so committed in marriage, there is no plan B. There is no escape plan. There is no way out. I'm not going back to mom and daddy's. I'm going to work and I'm going to stay together. I'm going to work on being together. And we need that mentality today in our culture. You might say, well, pastor, is God's will for me to be with the person? What about if I have divorced in my past? Does that mean that I messed up back then or I shouldn't have got married to this person? God's will today is that you stay married to the person you're with today. That's God's plan. Not to go back and unravel what happened years ago or months ago or try and undo the past somehow. It's time to move forward and be with the person that you're committed to right now. Henry Smith said, first he must choose his love and then he must love his choice. That's our life today. You should choose your love and then love your choice. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Paul said, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We like using that verse, wives submit, wives submit, wives submit. And we use it as a whipping post. But the problem is that's the next verse after this one. The verse right before that, wives submit, that we like to harp on and hear, and like to poke at our wives and say, yeah, did you hear that woman? Uh, we missed this verse. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Do you realize when you got married that a submission took place? You submitted your status. You were single, and now you're married. Which means that there was a submission that took place. Whether you realized it or not, whether you verbalized it or not, at your marriage vow, or in your marriage vow and at your marriage altar, you submitted your status when you got married. So long before we start poking our wives, fellas, let's realize there can be no submission to each other. Until there is first submission for each other. I'm submitting myself for the purpose of God gave me a special gift. Whoso findeth the wife findeth a good thing. You know, so I am submitting to his authority that he has given me a great gift. I'm going to submit for the purpose of this relationship. And in doing so, I'm going to submit to my spouse. That's not a bad thing. We look at submission as a bad word. Oh, man, we can't talk about that. that. That's not, that we shouldn't talk. But is that how we look at our marriage? We're supposed to be submitting, but are we looking back? Are we leaving and cleaving? The legality, the, the license, the leaving, but look at the locking in verse number 8 and 9. The locking, verse number, nine, or verse number 8, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they were no more twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. The word for cleave literally means to cement or glue something together. You know, we, we know there's a big difference between something that's temporary and something that's permanent. Where's Josiah? I know he's here. Josiah in the room? He's not? He's, he was here earlier. I missed him. Okay, so he's gone. All right, Caitlin, you come up here then. <laughs> Take your time. All right. All right, so Caitlin, here we go. Question. 
This is lip balm. All right, it says it right there on, okay? All right, so we know what lip balm does, right? All right, chap, lips, all that kind of stuff, okay? So this is temporary. It's something that's supposed to heal. It's supposed to help, right? Okay, all right? This is super glue. It says so right there. Cyanoacrylate, whatever that is, all right? And on the back it says, uh, let's see, right here, uh, contains ethyl, whatever that word was. Um, avoid contact with clothing, can cause burn, eye contact, uh, get medical attention, uh, skin, soak in acetone. That sounds like fun. All right, so if, if I put this on my lips, and this is actually my, my tube. Of, you no, know, you cannot have it. Uh, so, but this, this is my personal tube of chapstick. Would this hurt my lips if I put it on? No. Will this hurt my lips if I put it on? Your mom and dad would probably say, Put it on her, Pastor. Put it on. Uh, but so we understand that this is meant to be healing and helpful. This is meant to be temporary. And if I try and make it anything, or excuse me, permanent, and if I try to use it any other way than permanent, it can be harmful. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, thank you. You can go sit down. All right, so here's the, here's the question. And, and Dave and Chris would be like, I would have given you a 20 to use that super glue. Uh, but but here's, here's how we treat commitment we look at marriage and say you know it's helpful it's healing man it makes me feel good but it's not permanent if I want a way out man I'll just take the easy way out if I want a way of escape I'll just take it's not working out sorry you know better luck next time that's not God's design God's design is for marriage to be permanent till death do us part it's permanent. And this is not some flimsy commitment that we just kind of throw around and say a few words. This is permanent. Some of you guys have experienced divorce in your family. Maybe you personally. And you know it's painful. When that marriage commitment is broken or ripped apart, it hurts. There's scars that are left behind because it hurts. But God's original plan, and I'm not beating you up this morning. I'm just telling you what God originally intended. But God's original intention was to be helpful and permanent. It's good for a man. It says in Genesis, he looked down and said, it's not good the man should be alone. I'll make a help me for him. I want to help. But here in Mark chapter 10, he says, man, when you leave, you should cleave. You should make that final commitment and that's why I understand that there are physical implications here when it talks about two shall become one flesh. But that's not just talking about after marriage. That's talking about making a commitment to stay pure before marriage. Remember Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled. Well, pastor, you know, that's not popular. Or, you know, pastor, that's not culturally accepted. That, that's not something that we talk about. No, that's not something that is acceptable today. But what did God say? God said, don't. Hands off. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Hey, don't start something that you can't finish. God made it very clear. Hands off until you're married. That is God's design. And here's the reasoning. God designed marriage to be a commitment for life. For better, for worse. In sickness and health till death. That's God's original 
design, and intention. But is that our commitment? Is that the design and the desire that I have today? Do we value the covenant the way that God does? You know, how you define the commitment will determine how you define the rest of the passage. We have to make that decision. God's plan is permanent. So if it breaks down, that's not on God because his design is permanency. That's on us for not managing what's been entrusted to us. You, know, you might have a situation where your spouse left you for someone else. and uh, you know, That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is saying you've taken divorce and you've made it a get-out-easy card, and it shouldn't be that. It should be something where marriage takes, worth, takes work from both sides, not just one. The emphasis that he gives. And then lastly this morning, he gives the exception. Look at the exception. Look at verse 10. As they head back in private, and remember Jesus always gave that thought process, that big broad stroke. And the disciples from time to time said, hey, Jesus, clarify this for us. We're having a hard time grasping what you're trying to say. Teach us. Teach us a, a, a simpler construct. He gives the offense here in verse 10 through 12. Jesus broadens in a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. He gives them the exception clause. Look at verse 9, Matthew chapter 19. It says, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. Whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. In verse 11 of our text, Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another, committeth adultery against her. So Jesus is saying that divorce is not God's standard. The word he uses here for being unfaithful for this fornication in Matthew chapter 19 is the Greek word pornia. And it's the same word where we get our English word pornography. The same word. Now stay with me here for just a second. Jesus is saying that the reason for divorce from marriage should be limited to marital unfaithfulness. That reason alone. That could be adultery, that could be uh, homosexuality, bestiality, whatever. But think about the culture. All of those acts, adultery, all of those things, were defined and punished not by divorce. They were punished by death. Remember in John chapter 8 when they brought the woman to Jesus taken in adultery? Remember the question they asked Jesus, John 8 verse 4 and 5? They said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Verse 5, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. That's not taking her to see the rolling stones, by the way. Stoned, put to death, executed. But what sayest thou? Jesus isn't making it easier for them to get a divorce. He's making it more difficult for them to get a divorce. That's why he says in verse 11 and 12, if you put away your spouse for any reason, it's like you're guilty of adultery because you've minimized the value of what God said is sacred. He's saying it has to be defined. But it's, while he permitted it, he didn't mandate it. He didn't require divorce. Divorce is not mandatory. He said we shouldn't minimize the fact that marriage is designed for life. But at the same time, we don't minimize the sin of adultery either. We have to have something clear-cut and concrete that we can go to. See, love endures us to love causes us to endure some trials from time to time in our marriage, hardships, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, charity or love suffers long. Hey, it, it has, it's stretched from time to time. It's kind. It, it doesn't envy. It's not puffed up. But we have to look more at the heart than a one-time act. Jesus is not talking about somebody who commits adultery and repents. There are examples of people who have either a man or a woman in a relationship and they have an affair in their story. They've gone to counseling. They've worked it out. They've sought forgiveness. They've repented. They've turned. And they've worked it out. And by God's grace, they've been restored. And there are examples of that. Jesus is not talking about a one-time act. He's talking about a habitual event. Something that is not repented of. Someone who says, you know what, it doesn't matter. I'm going to keep doing this over and over and over. And that's what Jesus is referring to. Not someone who is, hey, I'm going to get right. I'm, going to, I'm sorry, this, is, this was a mistake. This was sin. This was wrong. And they confess and move on. Jesus is talking about someone who is determined to continue to live an unrepentant lifestyle. That's what he's talking about. And for that, Jesus gave an allowance. But not just the offense, we see the obligation lastly this morning. Look at verse number 11 and 12. He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife, remarry another, committeth adultery against her. Here it is. And if a woman shall put away her husband, I mean married to a mother, another, she committed adultery. You know, that, the whole thing of, you know, it'd be easier just to start all over. That's not a good enough reason. Jesus is saying there is only one allowance. The law allowed for the man to divorce his wife, but Jesus is saying the wife can put away her husband, which means that this has to be a dual mentality. This has to be both people have to be committed to each other. Both have to be determined to work through problems. Both have to see the value in marriage, what God has given. But here's the question for us today. Are we carrying around our commitments And we're ready to throw them away at a moment's notice? Do we have it in our hand and we wave it at our wife or wave it at our husband and say, hey, if you ever mess up, I'm done? Or do we say, you know what, I'm going to keep that in my pocket. I'm committed. And do we in turn on the other side say, you know what, I don't ever want to give them a reason. I don't ever want to give them a reason to where they would feel like they could do better with someone else. I don't want to make sure that anybody else other than me would be a step down, not a step up. I want to live my life that way. And if you're here this morning and you're not even married, hey, this applies to you as well. Are you faithful to Jesus in that regard? Are you faithful to him to where you say, hey, I'm so committed. Nobody else is is going to be more committed to the Savior than I am. I am re-upping my faithfulness to him. I don't want somebody else to be more faithful to Jesus than I am. I'm going to be committed to him. Because if you're not married to someone you can see, you are married to someone you can't see. You're connected to him. Ephesians 4.32 still in the Bible. Be kind. One to another. Man, what, what, are, what would marriages be like if we would just honor that phrase? Be kind one to another. I've heard people talk about their spouse in negative, derogatory, ungodly ways. Be kind one to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. I wish the verse stopped right there. Zach, I wish it was just, boom, forgiving one another. Man, that would be so good. Hey, I... Because I then can quantify what forgiveness is in my mind. But that's not where the verse ends, is it? Forgiving one another. 
even as it gives an example. I don't like that example all the time. I'll just be honest. Now, I'm not saying I don't like Jesus. I'm just saying I don't like the example here. Because if he is the example, then I fall short. And you do too. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I, yeah, I don't know if I could ever forgive them for what they did. You know what they saw. You know what they did. You know what they said. Sure, I'm glad that God doesn't look for heaven, down from heaven and say, you know what, I don't know if I could ever forgive that. You know what they did? You know what they said? You know what they looked at? You know how they acted? You know what God does? He goes back to the cross. And he looks at the cross and says, you know what, I might not want to, but because of what Jesus did, I'll forgive them. That's how we ought to look at our spouse, by the way. I don't want to forgive. Now, when Michelle yells at me, which has never, ever happened, those of you are like, yeah, that pastor, you're lying. Uh, so there are times when I don't want to forgive. There are times when I don't want to forgive somebody else. But I have to go back to the cross and say, you know what? If he forgave me, I have to forgive because of what he did for me, because of the love that he showed for me, I should show that love to my spouse. Because of what, how he was faithful to me, that's the faithfulness that I should be to him. Because of the forgiveness that he offers to me, that's how I should in turn forgive. And that's not just talking about forgiving your spouse. That could be forgiving your siblings. That could be forgiving your friends. That could be forgiving your coworkers. Whatever that is. Are we willing to extend forgiveness even if we don't know that they're sincere yet. Well, pastor, I'll forgive my wife, my husband, when I know that they mean it. Sure, I'm glad God doesn't look that way with us. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commended, proved his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He looked ahead in time and said, you know what? They haven't even trusted in me yet, but Jesus is still going. Hey. That's the way we should love. That's the way we should forgive. That's the way we should be faithful. And you're not going to have a perfect marriage, but you can have a pure marriage. You're not going to have one where you say, hey, we're going to be batting a thousand all the time, but you can both be committed to coming closer to Jesus. You can both be committed to be close to each other. You can both be committed to forgiving one another because that's what he does for us every single day. Are you forgiven? Like you should? Or have you been forgiven like he desires? Hey, this morning, it's not about pointing a finger. This is that personal time. Am I forgiving? Well, pastor, they just won't forgive me. Hey, have you forgiven them? Well, pastor, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I've tried to do all the right things. Hey, just love. Just love. Show Christ's love. Forgive. Move forward. And wait on God to do his part. Hey, but you do what God expects of you first. Because you can't change other people, but you can enact change in your own heart. And if you've been forgiven by him, you can and should forgive others. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not experienced his forgiveness.
You've not experienced his hope, love, mercy, grace. You know, all of those things are found in a person, in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things are found in a relationship with Jesus. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've not received his forgiveness, you've not received Jesus, that is the starting point. That is where we begin. That's where faith begins with him. If you're here today and you don't know that Jesus is your personal Savior, you've never been saved, you don't know that heaven's your home, hey, today is your day. It's all about starting with Jesus. Do you know that he's your Savior? Hey, you don't have to come forward, go to the back. You can right there in your seat. You can admit your need to Jesus, that you're not saved, that you're a sinner. That's what the Bible says we all are. Hey, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and Jesus is the answer. Just tell him what he already knows. Admit your need and call out to him for help. That's salvation. Our personal workers will be in the back in just a moment. and They'll be standing at tables in the back. They'll be wearing badges. says, how can I pray for you? And if you need to talk to somebody, they'll be in the back. You can come forward and pray at the altar, whatever your spiritual need is. You can have somebody pray with you before you leave. Don't walk out of here and wonder. Don't walk out of here and be discouraged, distraught. But whatever your spiritual need is, talk to the Lord. He's already talking to your heart. Talk to Him. Whatever your need. Maybe you would take this moment and just kind of re-up, re- reconfirm that commitment that you have to each other. Maybe your spouse is with you. Maybe you want to just hold them by the hand and pray together. Whatever that looks like. Asking the Lord to help you to be faithful. To be a quick forgiver when you've been offended. Whatever that looks like. Whatever God speaks to you about, talk to Him. Right there in your seat or talk to a personal worker, come pray at the altar, whatever you want to do. This is our time where we reflect on what God has done in our heart and how He desires us to be different before we walk out of here. Father, please bless the time of invitation. Use it in a way that only you can. Lord, we all need you. We acknowledge that. Worship begins, that song, I worship you, almighty God. It begins with acknowledging that you are the Savior. And for those maybe who are here this morning who have not placed their faith and trust in you, please help them right now to acknowledge that they have a need. They're sinners. To believe that you died to take care of that need by dying on the cross for our sins as the substitute for what we deserved to pay on the cross. But then, Lord, help us to simply call on you for salvation. Lord, I ask that you please speak to hearts. And, Lord, if there's someone here today that's not forgiven others like they should, not forgiving their spouse, not forgiving friends, family, something maybe that happened in the past, they're still holding on to. Lord, please help today to be their moment of release where they turn it over to you. Or they might not ever get an apology because of what's happened, but help them to forgive so that they can move forward. Lord, we love you. Thank you for forgiving us even though we're not deserving of it. Lord, I ask that you please speak to hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Brother Tim's going to lead us in that song, I Worship You, Almighty God.